In a world where mental health problems are used as common tropes in various forms of storytelling, therapist Ryan Engelstad and executive producer Mike Graham try to determine what lines up with real life and what is just exaggerated fantasy. Listen as we delve into the fantastical tales told about mental health in books, movies, and television. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad here as always with my co-host and unfortunately not a superhero, but just a mortal man and executive producer, Mike Graham. All right. I really like that one. What's going on, sir? Well, Mike, it's a tough week. Someone that a lot of people loved has passed on from this earth, that being Stan Lee. And that's that's in some ways what brings us here today. That's true. And it is unfortunate. There's been a lot of public posting and a lot of Stanley is amazing talk out there. And it's true. And one of my points I've been kind of talking about this week is that one thing I'm actually happy about is the fact that he lived in a very long life. He had a very successful career. He seemed a very happy man. And the moment he passed, he went from man to legend. So I, I really don't think you could do it better. No question about it. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, you could say what Stan Lee created is one of the reasons that you and I are here. We are both lovers of pop culture in a lot of different ways. For the rest of this episode, we're talking about Spider-Man, the character, Spider-Man, the man. Yep. We both researched, I think, in different ways to talk about this character, not necessarily touching on one popular culture touch point. Right. Yeah. We're just yeah. we're just kind of focusing on the character Spider-Man. Actually, my wife was talking to me and and we were I always go over my stuff with her and she was saying uh Stan Lee talked about how Spider-Man was his favorite character. He always saw himself as the underdog and Spider-Man was the underdog. So I really don't think uh it's more appropriate than doing Spider-Man to kind of honor him. But also I I think there's a lot of things going on like I said people in the public are openly grieving about it and I think it's a big topic to talk about. I totally agree. And before we get into that, just some a little bit of background information for listeners of the podcast. We have started a really cool Facebook group, and that's Pop Psych 101, the mental health chat. If anyone is interested in joining the conversation that we have here on the podcast, whether it be to ask listener questions, have discussions about the topics we talk about after the podcast airs, get sort of some of the insider access to the work that me and Mike do, that's right. a great place to come find out what we're doing. Whoever wants to join it, it's a closed group, so you can openly express feelings and opinions. There's going to be some general mental health conversation in there as well. But also, we want people to really be a part of the show, so we're asking them questions to actually answer on the show, uh, showing them things that we're making early. We're really just trying to, to make this everyone show, so join that if that's something you want to do. Yeah, that's something that's personally exciting for me. I love answering questions about mental health in general. So to have something that we're creating here that has an impact beyond just our episodes is really cool and exciting. And whoever wants to be a part of that, I say, come join us. Yep. So what we're going to do today, guys, is we're going to go over Spider-Man as a character for about the first half of the show. And then the second half of the show, we're going to go over questions from the chat group. You know, as you can imagine, Spider-Man, the the character, Spider-Man being someone whose sort of journey started with, with a great loss, the theme of the episode is going to be grief and loss. So buckle in. All right, let's do it. Let's go. I didn't want this. But I had no choice. We always have a choice. You had a choice when you killed my uncle. My daughter was dying. I needed money. I was scared. I told your uncle all I wanted was the car. What is it? I need your car. He said to me, why don't you just put down the gun and go home? I realize now he was just trying to help me. 
I saw my partner running over with the cash, and the gun was in my hand. did a terrible thing to you. I spent a lot of nights wishing I could take it back. I'm not asking you to forgive me. I just want you to understand. I've done terrible things too. Spider-Man, created by artist Steve Ditko and editor-writer Stan Lee, made his first appearance in August of 1962 and has since become one of the world's favorite and most widely known fictional characters. The history of Spider-Man has been told and rewritten countless times and varies widely depending on the stories the writers, artists, and film directors have told about our neighborhood friend. Many emotional themes cross over to the different versions of Spider-Man, and one of the biggest and most important themes is grief. Spider-Man experiences loss in just about every way a person can, most notably the murder of the man he loved most, Uncle Ben. Today, we'll cover as many aspects of Spider-Man's grief as we can, and hopefully avoid offending the comic diehard Spidey fans out there. Yeah, so uh, full disclosure, I am not a big comics reader, Mike. Yep, which is why I, I got that little disclaimer there at the end. We're going to do the best we can, and hopefully we don't break any any of the rules they have in the comics. Well, yeah, because we know this this character means a lot to a lot of people, and for good reason. After the unfortunate passing of Stan Lee, one of the first things I did was I, I wanted to read up on him, the man, but also why and how he created some of these characters uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to share with you one uh, interview he did where he touched on the creation of Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's hear it. So it was really interesting. He is talking to um, someone in an interview about how Spider-Man and why Spider-Man almost wasn't created. And he's talking about one of his uh, his partners at the time who told him three things that Stan Lee would never forget. He said that people hate spiders, so you can't call a hero Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> And then, well, I mean, they do hate <laughs> spiders. That's well, true. Yeah, yeah. But it's just, it's funny in the retrospect, the sort of very narrow view of what a hero could and couldn't be. Right, right. But so he goes on. So Stanley says he wanted the hero to be a teenager, as he was in the beginning. And the partner says a teenager can't be a hero, but only be a sidekick. Oh, wow. Which, again, it's like, how, how narrow a view that, you know, kids couldn't perform heroic acts like is that really the way that things were back in the day that is a very narrow view of what a hero could be i think a hero could be anybody absolutely so and then the third thing is that when stanley said he wanted him not to be too popular with girls not great looking <laughs> not great looking or a strong macho looking guy this sounds like me in high school <laughs> well and perhaps why you and i could relate to this character so much not not a great looking or strong, macho-looking guy, but just a thin, pimply high school student. Here's the thing about that. Basically, the guy's saying he wants him to be a big, strong guy with, like, a square jaw and all good-looking and stuff, right? Sure, because I guess that's what the sort of standard definition of what a hero was. Right, because everyone wanted a Superman coming out. Right. I think, and, and it's funny because he says that, and he's so wrong, because Spider-Man is the coolest-looking character being all thin like that. Well, yeah, and not even the thinness. And actually, Stanley went on, he said he wanted the character to have a lot of problems. Like he doesn't have enough money and he'd get an allergy attack while he was fighting. <laughs> and it's, it's great because 
you know, you and I on this show talk about how we want to normalize mental health, right? We want to show yeah. that mental health is something that affects everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think what Stan Lee did with Spider-Man is that he wanted to show that a hero could be anybody. Right, right. It doesn't matter who you are, you can do things to help other people, which is, I suppose, what we're also trying to do here. Yeah, and, <laughs> and you know, we we want to normalize the the fact that if you're struggling, it's okay because other people are struggling. If you want to be a hero and and be an advocate for mental health, you can. There is nothing stopping you. You don't need to be bit by a radioactive spider to gain superpowers. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to have a square jaw. That's right. You can do superhero or heroic acts just like the rest of us. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with all of that. So we're talking grief today. Yep. And one of the big themes throughout just so many like hugely popular superheroes is grief. I mean, you have Batman and Daredevil and the Punisher and all these different heroes and and widely known characters. And they all have this loss in their life. And I think that people relate to that because everybody loses people and loses things. And so when they they read that, they can connect to that and kind of figure out how these characters are dealing with it. I I totally agree. And I think to echo that point, people see these heroes going through these sort of tragic events, being strong and and overcoming and, and in some cases using their powers, but not necessarily having to, but being able to overcome and be strong when the reader, we feel weak in the same circumstances. We idolize these people because of what they're able to do in extraordinary circumstances. For me, Spider-Man, the cartoon, actually growing up was one of my favorite shows. Oh, yeah, me too. Saturday morning, X-Men and Spider-Man. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) this was a character that I felt like I could relate to. Like, he's a dork. Right. He manages to, like, talk to pretty girls, but that never actually goes anywhere. I think you mentioned that last episode, too. Sure. Well, (laughs) (laughs) we have our own themes as well. Well, so basically, Spider-Man, I think he's the perfect person to talk about this because of the fact that he is just so normal. Obviously, like the, the one of the biggest things is in the comics and the original story of Spider-Man, you know, he gets bitten by the radioactive spider. He gains superpowers. Uh, most of you probably know the story, but he's going about trying to, you know, get money so he can get a car and impress the girls, uh, you know, his neighbor or depending on which one you're which story you're looking at. Basically, in the middle of all this, uh, his Uncle Ben does get killed. And it sort of sends Spider-Man off into a whirlwind after that. One of the things that Uncle Ben always told him, it's the famous line, with great power comes great responsibility. And the death of his uncle sent him into what seems to be grief and, and some of the experiences of the stages of grief. Yeah, no question. And sort of depending on what source we're using and the, the circumstances of Uncle Ben's death, whether it was a attempted robbery or a burglary. I think it was often described as Uncle Ben like surprised the burglar. Right. And then the burglar shot him. Or in the movies, it just so happened that Uncle Ben was just sort of on the street or waiting for waiting to pick Peter up from the library. And right. it sort of a carjacking gone wrong. We we see Peter go through this this immediate loss, right? And again, depending mm-hmm. on the source material, he does have a very intense reaction to, as anyone would. I mean, it is a violent, in a lot of ways, death, a violent, unexpected loss. And I was going to say, a a lot of people's view of grief is, and I think they can, if the first thing they probably think about is sudden loss like this. Right. Sudden, unexpected, for sure. Right. So right off the top, I kind of just wanted to ask if you could explain what grief is, because grief, I think, is more than just general sadness. And I, I think it's it's something, unfortunately, I think we all ha- are going to have to go through at some point in our lives. And I'm just I'm just wondering from your perspective as as a therapist, what is grief? Yeah. So different ways for us to think about that. Right. Because there's grief, the emotion. So let me put it this way. Sometimes it helps. It's helpful to identify um, an emotion through the lens of its opposite emotion. OK. For me, I, I think of happiness as being able to be present without longing, without wanting things to be different. Right. It's 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 being content. Uh, yeah. So not not needing or wanting things to be different than they are right now. Okay. So in a lot of ways, grief is the opposite of that. It's things are not a way that I would like them to be. 
because specifically of a loss of a person. But obviously, we can we can experience grief at the loss of a lot of different things, uh, job, house. And I, yeah, that was one of my questions today was, was how can we experience grief in all these different ways? But before we get there, it, please continue. So we're talking about grief and what it is from sort of a therapist or, or a psychological perspective, because it's interesting when we talk about grief from, you know, if you're coming into therapy because you've lost someone. Right. Yeah. And I'm and I'm sitting here wondering as a therapist, like if someone sits down in front of you, like how are they presenting it? For sure. And there actually is a diagnosis that we would use for this, which is which is relevant because it's important for people to recognize what's happening. And the diagnosis is is very simple. It's an adjustment disorder. And in this case, an adjustment disorder, specifically identifying grief as the sort of precursor to that adjustment. So adjustment disorders can can be different things. Yes. But in this light, grief is the catalyst. Yes. So a grief adjustment disorder would present itself in a lot of different ways. We might identify physical symptoms, which could be sleep issues, things like difficulty with concentration, not being hungry or other appetite shifts. Nightmares are very common, bad dreams. Okay. Things like social isolation, so not wanting to be around people, especially if they remind you of the thing or person that you've lost. Some people do experience physical pain. So that's avoidance. Oh, absolutely. And people can even experience anxiety, panic attacks, difficulty breathing. So it's a very complex emotional reaction that can cause a lot of different types of symptoms. Everyone loses somebody. Do you think everyone goes through the kind of grief that would be diagnosable as this sort of adjustment disorder? Or did only certain people kind of take it this way? So I will say not everyone experiences grief to this extent, to an adjustment disorder extent. There is the stereotypical five stages of grief. Right. And to the extent that everyone does work through them, everyone works through them at their own speed And some people will sort of cycle through, and we'll talk about those different stages, but you can go one, two, three, back to two, back to one, you know, as things become difficult. So there's not necessarily a prescribed order that people have to go through them. Okay, yeah. And that was actually one of our listener questions today was the, the whether grief was linear as far as the five stages. So yeah, it is not a linear pattern because really these emotions are complex. The other issue often with grief is the ongoing triggers to these emotional reactions after the fact. Okay. So let's just use Uncle Ben as an example, right? Right. So Peter Parker loses Uncle Ben, this sort of immediate response. And I'll just reference the trilogy with Tobey Maguire because I'm weird and that was my favorite one, even though now it's really (laughs) aged horribly. No, 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 no. I love that trilogy. Yeah, I know. Uh, I even like the black costume Spider-Man dancing around with the emo haircut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, so you see, so uncle Ben dies and actually this is a really interesting, um, portrayal of grief because Peter Parker doesn't even stay with uncle Ben long enough for his body to be put in an ambulance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He immediately goes into, I think like revenge anger mode. Yeah. So real quick, I'll go through what the stages are. So uh, first is denial. The second is anger. The third is bargaining. The fourth is depression. The fifth Mm. is acceptance. So, so again, to clarify, you know, people go through these stages in in different orders, but Peter Parker in the original trilogy goes from, hey, that's my uncle. I can't believe this is happening, which would be denial immediately into anger and revenge, as you said. So he hears over the overhead of the police scanner say like where the, the guy in the car is going off to now. Uncle Ben has died at this point. Nothing is going to change that as far as Peter Parker can tell. But he immediately leaves the scene, doesn't wait for Aunt May, doesn't try to tell anybody, I'm going to go get that guy that did this. Yeah, wow. So immediately into anger. Now, I know this is a movie and and things like that, but if someone were to really have that kind of response, just immediate switch, like what what does that say to you? So for me, anger is a hot emotion. It's surface level, and it is what we experience and and often is preferable to some people instead of acknowledging the pain of the situation. Is that also like an avoidance thing? Absolutely. So it's easier for us to be angry and to blame someone or something or some circumstance for the loss than it is to deal with the pain. That's why for Peter, instead of staying in that place where his uncle has just been murdered, 
he immediately and is is just off dealing with the anger. He's literally pulled away by the stage of anger. Wow. I mean, that's really interesting because I never I mean, obviously you see it and you know he's angry, but I never put it into the category of Peter's grieving right now. Yep. Immediately. Wow. Yeah. And then, you know, in again in that 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 initial movie, when he catches the guy who he thinks has killed his uncle. He sort of is bargaining with him. He's like, you know, you couldn't give my uncle a chance, you know. So it's again this like, okay, should I turn you over to the cops? You you did this, and then the guy I think like falls out the window, and I, I think he dies. Yeah, right. He he's bargaining with himself as to as exactly. to what to do what, about what it. What can I do? Right. Exactly. Right. And then he cries. Yep. Yep. Depression. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. So well. So really, the stages for Peter Parker over the course of that trilogy. He goes between, I would say, anger, bargaining, and depression for like the next three or two and a half movies. Oh, sure. I mean, and he experiences loss in in different ways throughout it too. But very true. I think uh, how important of a of a theme do you think, or how important do you think that emotion is driving him? You know, specifically through that trilogy. We can identify that from the fact that his motto is essentially with great power comes great responsibility, that mm -hmm. his loss of Uncle Ben is his driving force to be Spider-Man right? and to essentially make up for the fact that his uncle was killed and he maybe thinks he could have prevented it. I mean, I don't know if the writers of that like specifically were thinking of these things and they might have been because of the fact that so many histories of Spider-Man have stories about him grieving in different ways. But if the writers were trying to kind of pinpoint that in the trilogy and they're using the five stages, are they accurate? Is there more stages to grief? I mean, I think everyone's heard of the five stages. It's kind of a cliche to say. Sure. So as I mentioned before, five stages, we'll take them one by one. The first is denial. Okay. And if we think about denial, it's essentially not wanting to acknowledge the full extent or the full truth of a situation. And it's actually a, a pretty helpful first stage because it helps us to sort of pace out our reaction. Yeah, you know, and there's even a scene in the the first of the trilogy where Aunt May is really disappointed in him because he's not there for her. He's out doing these things and it's kind of a denial of of his feelings or, what, yeah, of his grief. Absolutely right. Denial is keeping Peter Parker stuck in confronting his feelings in this very active way. Like, I have to keep doing this thing so I don't have to acknowledge the loss that I'm, I'm feeling. Okay. The second stage, which I think is really what Peter Parker gets stuck in, is anger. And for Peter, it's actually self-directed anger. Obviously, he has anger at criminals and things like that, but but he he expresses anger all over the place, even yeah. even with imagined slights from the James Franco character, who I'm blanking on the character's name, uh, Harry Osborn. <laughs> That's right. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, comic book fans. So self anger is one of the things that keeps people stuck in grief the longest. You know, I'll say that that's that's my personal feeling. That's not necessarily written anywhere. Right. But in my work, in my work with people who are experiencing grief and loss, anger itself, which can be interpreted as guilt, self-hatred, even blaming of self, it's coming from this feeling of there was something I could have done. There was mm. something I could have said. There was someone I could have talked to, help I could have given that I didn't. I could have prevented this in some way. That could have prevented or, or lessened that person's pain in some way, shape, or form. And when we believe that, we will be, in a lot of ways, unable to get through the rest of the stages. Wow. So that's something you have to, to let go. You, you were talking about seeing people come in with this. Is this something like that's really common for people to like seek help with? So yeah, I'll actually, I'll, I'll give you an example of how common it is. I work for a small nonprofit in Princeton, and we actually have a whole foundation that is dedicated to giving assistance to people dealing with grief. When people come in, whether it's due to the loss of a parent or sibling or child even, we have a foundation set aside money to help offset the cost of these people's treatment. It's that common. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would imagine it, it's tough. And, and let's say a person gets past the anger and you're working with them. What might appear for them next, I suppose, on the list? The, the sort of classic one being bargaining, um, we often think of as bargaining with God. But this can also come in a lot of different forms. 
things like wishes or or if onlys. Oh yeah, things where we question the order of things. Are are they like imaginary bargaining? Like even though they know they can't bring the the person back or whatever it is they lost back, is the bargaining something that's like they're dreaming of bringing this person back with these bargains? Yeah, essentially. I mean, it's it's not literal bargaining as if like, oh, you know, if you bring this person back to life, I'll be a good person forever. And 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 to be clear, people can experience the five stages of grief before someone has passed on. You see this a lot of times with caretakers, with someone who has cancer, for example, where people have to sort of experience the grief of the reality of the situation, even though the person may still be alive. So you don't even to experience grief on the level of going through the stages. You don't even have to be a close family member or friend. You can, you said nurses there. So people that are just even involved in the person's life can kind of go through that. Yeah, unfortunately. And that's why it is such a common issue, which sort of brings us to that fourth stage, which is depression, which is something that we think of as just sort of a very common issue someone might seek therapy for. But it's also this typically identifiable stage of loss, of grief and loss. You know, we think of depression, the classic symptoms, intense sadness. Well, you know, and I was wondering, and I wrote this down, and I don't know if this is redundant or not. I wrote down, you know, is grief the same feeling as depression? Obviously, you're telling me it's a part of it, but is the actual experience of the emotional feeling the same? So I will say no. Depression is a part of grief. Grief doesn't have to be a part of depression, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I was kind of thinking that yeah. since depression exists outside of grief, that there there's there's something that's a big dividing line there. And and here's why this is an important stage, is because I just mentioned the word sadness. And right. out of the first four stages so far, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, depression is the first time that sadness is acknowledged. So it sounds almost like this stage could be productive? No question. This is a very important okay. stage. Because I talked talked about before with anger being sort of a cover for pain. Yeah, they're pushing they're pushing this part of it away. That's right. The pain is what is then acknowledged and really felt in this fourth stage of depression. Huh. I mean, it's interesting because you don't you just don't think about it in this way on a day to day basis, and you see people out there going through this stuff. There's always someone that you know that's kind of going through this and. I guess just kind of learning about it gives you a better view of of maybe even how to reach out to them or or just to understand them, I guess. Yeah, and that's why, we, why death rituals exist. It's to acknowledge the important process of loss and recovery. When, when we have funerals, when we have viewings, all these things are meant to create a safe place for these emotions to be felt and acknowledged. We're in the fourth stage now. We're talking about depression. Can somebody that's stuck in an earlier phase and like like anger that kind of keeps people back there, is there a way that you would go about helping someone to move past that stuff to get them? Like, are you trying to push them to the depression stage? Yeah, in some ways. That's a great question because people also, people, it's a very common question like, how do I know that I'm sort of over it or do I want yeah. to be over it? Um you know, and, you know, there's a lot of ways to think about how to, quote unquote, push someone through these these stages where they can get stuck. And one way to think about it is to be able to look at the trigger points. So as you mentioned for Peter Parker, you know, other losses that he experiences, whether it be uh, in the trilogy, the loss of Mary Jane. That's a question I have, too, is, you know, is can heartbreak be grieved? Absolutely. Losing your mobility or being disabled, can you grieve the loss of a limb? Oh, for sure. Right. Uh, can you grieve your own pending death? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's actually very common in hospice is sort of helping people move through that stages process because mm. the the dying process, not to be bleak, but to have that process be as, I hate to say it, but as pleasant as possible, you want people to be able to be sort of emotionally accepting of the situation that they're in. Right. And you said that people have asked you, you know, how do I know when I'm over it? And as someone that wouldn't do this professionally, like as a friend, if someone asked me that, I would say just logically, I would say, I don't think you're ever really over it, but there's a way to to move on with your life. How does a person in that situation, I mean, there's no moving on with your life when it's your own pending 
thing happening. Very true. And that's why to acknowledge the fifth stage, which is acceptance. Okay. And in this sense, we think of acceptance as accepting the reality that, you know, as to acknowledge your question, that our own death is impending and that that death will be permanent or that to acknowledge the loss of our loved one, that they're gone and that loss is permanent. I want to I want to clarify something. And that doesn't mean that we're over them or that we've forgotten them or that we don't love them anymore. These are things that people really get hung up on. If I'm not so sad about this person, that means I don't care about them anymore. Exactly. And they're probably worried about themselves forgetting, so they don't want to accept it. Yeah. And that's such a hard part of this process of seeing yourself being okay with the fact that the loss has happened. Okay, so so we we're going through the the stages of grief and I think we just lightly touched on acceptance and I kind of wanted to go there a little further. Sure. We see we see Peter go through the and I'm going back to the trilogy cuz it's 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 easier to just line things up. It, we see Peter go through these stages. Do we ever see Peter get past, you know, the depression or the anger and get to acceptance? Do they show that? Yeah, it's funny you asked that. It's in one of the last scenes of the third movie in the tri trilogy with Tobey Maguire. W which haircut does he have in this scene? It's back to normal. It's after he's gone okay. through his emo phase. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. Yeah, he can't accept with sad emo hair. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so yeah, so over the course of the third movie, he he discovers that Flint Marco, I believe the, the Sandman, man, yeah. Yep. Um, is actually the guy that shot and killed Uncle Ben. Which is the best villain in, in the movies. Well, Dr. Octopus is good too, but you kind of feel for him. For sure. Right, exactly. So when Peter Parker finds this out, he again goes through all these stages of grief. He gets angry. He wants revenge on, on Flint Marco, who is now sort of ongoing feud with. And at the end of the movie... When they're fight and they're fighting Venom and Harry Osborn, this Green Goblin, all this sort of the chaos of that last scene, Peter Parker and Flint Marco have this sort of frank discussion about that night. And it was really interesting because earlier in the movie, they show when Peter Parker learns about Flint Marco being the shooter, they show what Peter Parker pictures was how Flint Marco shot Uncle Ben. And it's this very aggressive, intentional perspective on what Peter Parker pictures happening. He's like out to hurt Peter. Like that's the way he's envisioning it. Not only Uncle Ben, but there's no grounds for any empathy for the Sandman at all. So that this was like an intentional, really murder of his uncle. And that's how he's picturing it. And then when he has this conversation with Flint Marco at the end, Flint Marco tells him what happens. And that is he was only stealing money for his sick daughter. He was just trying to take the car. Uncle Ben was nice and trying to help him, saying that he could put down the gun and go home, that he didn't have to do this. And then his partner came running out with the money, and Flint Marco essentially shot him accidentally. Right, so it was just completely different than... Than how Peter Parker was picturing it. And this, this anecdote is so important for the grief process, because how we picture our loved ones, whether it be in their last moments or unexpected loss, you know, what that must have been like for them. Hanging on to a relationship. Yeah, we get stuck with that picture. And if that picture is negative or makes us angry, that, as it was in the case of Peter Parker in this particular trilogy, what kept him in his stages of grief. So for him to be able to hear this true reframed story of how Uncle Ben's death happened, he's able to, and he actually says to Flint Marco, I forgive you. And now it's a very sort of like, da 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 da, you know, um, <laughs> like oh yay! But yeah, 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 everything is better. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> very, very tidily wrapped up the trilogy, right? Well, yeah, yep, yep. But that certainly signifies his acceptance. So uh, for me, it was really cool to see it displayed in that heavy-handed way, but also like, okay, like they got there. They got there exactly. Yeah, they showed it. Well, you mentioned something that really stuck out to me there, and that was in the third movie. Sandman, he figures out that it's Flint Marco and he backtracks. Is that, I mean, is that a common thing? Do people, if they haven't like fully gotten to acceptance or, or maybe even if they, they have gotten through to acceptance, can people backtrack? Yeah, people can absolutely backtrack. People can get to acceptance and then be essentially re-triggered. They can get back to anger. They can get back to even denial. You know, I can't believe they're not here. 
And, uh, you know, just sort of as an anecdote from people that I've worked with, one of the biggest triggers is if you were living with the person who who passed, who died, things like physical reminders, their stuff, rooms that they uh, lived in, or even rooms that they passed in, you know, if yeah. you have a, an older adult. Right. You you see often in, in pop culture, movies and, and books and things, people that don't change the room of, of somebody that they lost. Yeah. And it's a cliche to say, like, you know, go in there and change the room. But the the reason that that cliche exists is because you need new associations with that space. Yeah. If that space only represents the last time you saw that person alive, you can't even go in the room. You can't even walk by it because all it will do is bring you back to that realization of, of this is my reality and I don't want this to be my reality. I'm thinking as you're saying all this, I mean, this stuff is hard to do. No question. Get over somebody. I see why people come up with or don't come up with, but an adjustment disorder happens because this is so hard as a therapist and someone comes to see you. How do you go about getting them to where they they can get to acceptance and stay there? It's a great question. And for me, it's about helping them sort of reorganize, whether that's reorganize their daily schedule to the extent that that person might have been involved in it. It's helping them to reorganize their roles in their life. So if the, for example, as we talked about the loss of a parent or for Spider-Man, the loss of his Uncle Ben, like that was a person that he spent time with every day. Right. And they had a really great relationship. Yeah. Oh, no question. So it's not about replacing the person as much as, okay, these things that you got from that person, whether it was, you know, the mentorship, the love, the connection, where else can you now get those things? Because it's it's not about liking this new reality. And, and accepting is such a, a, a weird yeah. word. Like that's where you want to say right after that is it's I about know. accepting, but what yeah. does that mean? Well, in, in some ways, it sort of just means having more good days than bad ones. Right. But the reason those good days are happening is identifiable. And that's like, I went back to work. I, I went out and saw my friends. I got back into that I hobby. I laughed. For sure. I didn't think about it for this many days. Exactly. And it's not to say that you shouldn't or can't think about the person that you've lost, but in so doing these other positive things, you don't have to think about them. And just and just to add to one more piece to that, the other thing that I work on with people is changing the context in which you think about that person. People have found a lot of benefit in making honorary photo albums of that person. And then when you find yourself missing them, like looking at a funny picture instead of, you know, looking at that picture in their last days, the last time you hugged them, like look and and reminisce on those positive times. Right. Or or holding their shirt up to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's it's changing the context in which you think about that person. That's not so immediately associated with loss and the unhappiness that you have but that the value that that person gave to you in your life. This seems really important because we were talking about the other ways that you can feel grief. I personally, and I'm I'm sure, Ryan, that you've gone through varying degree of grief sometime in your life. For sure. But, you know, I I grieved a relationship once. And if you keep looking back onto that, it's just, yeah, you just can't get to the end. Yeah, without, without accepting. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny, what I think about, and certainly I've grieved, loss of loved ones, family members. But it's interesting when I think about grief process that I've experienced, I've actually grieved losing a job and it was a job that I left on purpose. Oh, wow. Yeah. But the grief that I experienced was like denial. Did I have to leave that job? Did I make the right decision? Anger at myself or other people that caused me, quote unquote, caused me to have to make that decision. Probably bargaining with yourself. Absolutely. Well, I made this decision because of these reasons. Well, and and not even bargaining with myself, bargaining with my wife. Like, we decided this together. Like, did we have to move? Did we have to do this? And, And, you know, uproot ourselves to a certain extent. And, and then the quote-unquote depression, to the extent that I experienced that, is the, the sadness of not having those relationships with those people at that last job, where it's like, well, there were good reasons I stayed at that job, too. And maybe the people were, at least some of the people, were part of that, right? Yeah. So then acceptance looks like, okay, as I move on into my new roles and my new job, how can I still have positive connections? Right. How can you be content? 
Exactly, right. How can I still enjoy? And honestly, how can I reflect back on those changes and remember the positive reasons that I made them? Right, right. For what we're talking about, your job, and remember the good things that you liked about it, but of then also, also accept the, the great things that, that you're doing now. For sure. Yeah. And, and, and that's a big one. Sometimes a really useful exercise in moving through, I won't say getting over, I hate getting over the grief process, but moving through because it's something that you have to experience is positive affirmations or a really simple little exercise where you can acknowledge the good things that you are doing and the good person that you are, even in and while experience the absence of that person or thing or place. So I think basically you were just kind of explaining the question that you asked earlier today, which was that people ask you, which is how do we know? And and those are kind of ways we can know. Do you think, because I know you said it happens right at the end of the trilogy, does Spider-Man, do you think that he knows he's kind of accepted this? Well, at least in the way that it's shown in the movie, I think it's definitely implied that this is giving him some peace and some acceptance. Like, not only do I know the circumstances of my uncle's death, but I'm able to forgive the person that I, I blamed and was angry at for so long. He literally forgives him and lets him go. Like, this is a guy that just, like, yeah. committed a lot more crimes. And he's just like, <laughs> okay, you can fly, send, fly away. <laughs> yeah, see um, you. And then it's all yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now it's like, dun, 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 Yeah, I know. It's a, that's yeah. the sort of hokey part where it's like, but that guy should still be in jail, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go to jail, yeah. Sandman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's complex. Podcast popularity is currently at an all-time high, and thousands of new podcasts are premiering every single day. There are so many great shows about incredibly obscure but fascinating topics, and they can be hard to find. Dean Giles and Dan Roberts host one of those shows. Join them weekly on Podskewer, a podcast about obscure podcasts and the people who run them. Available on iTunes, Spotify, and many other popular podcasting apps. Just search for Pazure. And now back to Pop Psych 101. So I think that brings us to uh, listener questions. So let's start with a listener, but also someone who's kind of joined the Pop Psych team to really help us out. Uh, this Doing a podcast is a ton of work. I wanted to give a shout out to Brooke Richards, who's taken over our, our social media stuff. But she did ask a question this week. She said, when my aunt died, I felt like I somehow wasn't allowed to grieve her or be very sad because I hadn't lost a mom or a wife. So I really had no business falling apart over it. Is this a common reaction with extended family? Very common. First of all, thank you, Brooke, for doing our social media, because that is... It's so hard. Just a something that... <laughs> and we're terrible at it, Ryan. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's not that we're terrible at it, Mike. We just, we don't have the... Uh, the creative energy that it requires. Right. We don't have the skills to pay the bills. That's sure. Oh, Very man. Good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hate myself when I'm editing that part. You can take that one out. <laughs> so great example. So in the loss of somebody like an aunt, everyone goes through these processes in their own way. I remember actually going back to college, my high school English teacher died. You know, I, I happened to yeah. know her, her daughter. A lot of the kids from my like graduating class came and went to the funeral. And like that was super impactful. So we can't hold ourselves back from our emotional experience of things. If we invalidate our own emotions and tell ourselves that it shouldn't be this bad or I should be able to handle this, you're only going to delay the emotional process that you have to go through. Okay. And and I think that I think that giving somebody like that uh, validity is incredibly important. So I'm sure she's going to be happy you answered that for her. The next one we have is from Connie. Does the grief ever stop? And I just wanted to address that uh, so that way maybe you could talk sort of specifically to Connie because I know we, we kind of went over that in the episode, but. So, yeah. So thank you, Connie, for this question. And, you know, I guess in, in the context of talking about the stage of acceptance, we don't have to like this new reality. We don't have to be okay with this new reality. So in that sense, the grieving might not stop as we understand it because we can always be sad that that person is not around anymore, but we don't have to be sad or grieving all the time or every day. We can, for example, and that's another thing that I really love that families do is like 
dedicate things to their loved one, celebrate their loved one's birthday. So we make sure that we don't forget them. But at the same time, it's okay that we are able to enjoy, we can still enjoy family get-togethers. We can still enjoy holidays. We can still enjoy hobbies. It's okay for us to do those things and also still be sad that the person that's gone is gone. So the next one up is going to be, I'm going to go with uh, Lori asked, and she's referring to grieving people, why are so many people scared to come out and say, I'm upset and I need to talk? Thank you, Lori, for this question. And in the context of grief, my experience is that a lot of times people see themselves as having to be strong for other people. As an example, so it's like we restrain our own our own emotions because we think we're trying to protect other people's emotional experiences. This is very common with depression, um, where we don't sort of want people to know how bad we're doing because we feel like we're going to be a burden to them. So it's the same kind of thing where we don't want to acknowledge the intensity of our own emotional experience because it's like, oh, well, if I'm doing really bad, then my kids or my parents or my siblings will then see that I'm doing really bad and then they might be doing really bad too and I don't want them to worry about me. But also it's just a common thing with mental health in general and to echo an earlier question, which is like, I shouldn't be this upset. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking too, that seeking help in general is is tough for a lot of people. And I think that has a lot to do with stigmas and perceptions. Or even to the thing that I don't even think it's that well known that people go into therapy just for grief and loss. You know, it's, it may not be that known that grief is sort of an, an appropriate diagnosis that your insurance would cover. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's actually, I'm glad you said that uh, because people will probably be wondering that. Last one today is Teresa asks, and I, I, I think this one is, is probably, uh, it's a little deeper, I think, because of the way this happens. But she asks, how do you stop grieving a suicide? I know she's, she's asking, how do you stop? And, and that's kind of a common theme here with some of these questions. But I think it may be addressing the fact that someone was lost in this way. And so I'll, I'll, I'll just finish with this to answer that question because it's such a hard one. We have to be able to practice self-compassion and self-empathy because you would never tell the mother of a son who committed suicide that it was the mother's fault. You would never tell a friend who had lost a parent that it was their fault. You need to not tell yourself that it's your fault. You need to offer that same compassion you would give to a friend or a family member to yourself. And the sooner you can offer yourself that empathy and that compassion, the sooner you'll be able to acknowledge the pain and move through the grief process in an in a unfortunately in an appropriate way. All right. I hope I hope that something we've said today can help everyone. If if you know someone that's grieving remind them that they can go to therapy and talk to somebody and work through it. There's great people out there like Ryan, the the planet's greatest therapist who are out there to help you. <laughs> but, but yeah, if, if you think this episode could, could help someone pass it on to them, because I think uh, Ryan said a lot of really important things today, but normally Ryan does rate something that we've done on a scale of one to five on the accuracy. And then I rate it whether I liked it or not, but we really were just going over the character today and and diving a lot deeper into into how we can get through these things. So I think we're going to end the episode a little bit differently. And Ryan, I think you had something you wanted to share from Stanley. I do. It is a okay. poem, um, actually, that I found that was written in 1970 by Stanley. It is called God Woke, a poem. Was this was this pre sunglasses, Stanley? I actually have no idea. <laughs> there was a point before you put the glasses on. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I will preface this with this is I'm only going to read an excerpt because this is an eight page poem and it's 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 intense, but I think it's especially relevant uh, this week. So this is the end of the poem God Woke by Stanley. Man, his greed, his hate, his crime, his war. The Lord, our God could bear no more. He looked his last at man so small, so lately risen, so soon to fall. He looked his last and had to know whose fault this anguish, this mortal woe. Had man failed maker or maker man? Who was the planner and who's the plan? 
He looked his last, then turned aside. He knew the answer. That's why God cried. Well, um, you know, rest in peace, Stanley. Uh, you're loved by the whole world, and you created amazing characters, and uh, that really moved me there. So, uh, I just want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, we're going to go ahead and end this one. And yeah, if you guys want to join Pop Psych 101 Mental Health Chat, that's on Facebook. You guys can can kind of help us push this show forward and and give us a ton of ideas and really be a part of it. I really hope that people do that. So, Ryan. As usual, thanks for having me on today. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, all the listeners, for the questions. I hope we get to do a lot more of that. That was a lot of fun for me, even though the questions were were hard. I think it's important stuff that we need to keep talking about. So thank you, everyone. Well, that was a tough conversation about grief and loss through the lens of Stan Lee's Spider-Man. As with the reader questions, I think there are a lot of important takeaways. I can't emphasize enough that the grieving process is unique to each person and each situation. It is impossible to predict how we will react to the loss of a job, relationship, or loved one. So it is incredibly important that we give ourselves the room we need to process our emotions. Secondly, even though the grieving process is completely normal and a sad but natural part of life, that doesn't mean that getting help or support to go through that process is weird or unnecessary. In fact, having a check-in with your primary care doctor after a major loss can be a great preventative way to catch grief symptoms. And as I mentioned, therapy is also a completely appropriate intervention for someone experiencing loss. Finally, Peter Parker goes on to be a superhero after experiencing the loss of his Uncle Ben. But you don't have to be a hero when you go through your own loss. Being a hero for yourself and your family can simply mean honestly experiencing your emotions and getting help if you need it. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Thank you to my executive producer and co-host, Mike Graham. If you like the show, please check out our social media pages. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. See the show notes for links to those pages. We also love hearing from our listeners, so if you want to give us feedback or suggest something for us to cover, you can email us at poppsych101 at gmail.com or join our Facebook group. We are now on all major podcast distribution channels, so please subscribe, rate, and review our show. We would greatly appreciate it. For Mike Graham, I'm Ryan Engelstad. Thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101.